All right, well, I'm going to start by inviting you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be uh, kind of picking up where Ty read this morning on Scripture reading at the end of Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to go into Acts chapter 5, you see on the PowerPoint, all the way through verse 11. So in just a second, we're going to start with the Scripture reading, so I encourage you to turn on your device, open up your Bible, and follow along. Uh, we're continuing a sermon series going through the book of Acts. And we're picking up today, and today's kind of a special day because towards the end of this sermon, as it's already been announced, we're going to do a special missions contribution. So keep that in mind. That's kind of the flow of the sermon today is that is coming. So sort of what we're talking about today will lead into that. But also I was handed a note just a minute ago that I want to share something with you. The uh, Hannah House is something that we've mentioned time and time again, and we've kind of supported and been a part of. Uh, there's a Change for Life bottles uh, opportunity for you that you'll see these bottles on the counter next to the gym. So as you go into your classes today, you see these bottles. If you want to grab one, they're not due back until January, but if you want to support Hannah House, uh, participate in that, the Change for Life bottles. So let's start with our scripture reading today, uh, Acts 4, starting in verse 36, in my opinion... This is where chapter 5 should begin. When the Bible was originally written, there was not verses or chapter divisions, and so somebody came along later and wrote, okay, chapter 4, chapter 5. But really, the two stories we're going to read, I titled this sermon, A Tale of Two Givers, these two stories are meant to go together. So we're just going to keep reading at the end of chapter 4 and go on into chapter 5. Starting in verse 36. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have con contrived this deed in your heart? You do not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard the, these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in and they found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these things. Uh, what a story to read right before we take our special missions contribution. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Who's going to hold back now? Okay, we... We have this story, it's in our Bible, we're doing a sermon series through the book of Acts, and so 
As I planned it out, it's like this text just happened to fall on the same day we're doing this special contribution, so instead of dodging it, I decided to keep it, and let's talk about generosity. There's really, uh, Luke tells us these two different stories, one of Barnabas, also named Joseph, and then the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and so we're going to compare those together, and we're going to talk about generosity, but first I want to try to talk about Ananias and Sapphira and how we can understand the story. What does it mean? It seems somewhat scary, and maybe a little confusing for us. For our modern ears, we're a little sensitive to things like that. They just dropped dead because they lied about how much they gave. Many years ago, I was on a mission trip with a bunch of college students, and we were working with a mission in town, but we were staying at a local church. So since we were staying at the church, we thought we would do something nice for them, and one night, kind of on a whim, we just invited the youth group to come up to the church building and share a devotional with us. So the youth group kids were headed up to the church building, and this is just kind of being planned last minute. And one of the leaders of our trip said, would you mind picking a passage and reading it during the Devo and maybe elaborating on it some? So I said, sure. And the kids show up. We're singing songs. I'm flipping through my Bible. There's no preparation in advance for this. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to choose. And then I come across Acts chapter 5, and I thought, oh yeah, that's kind of a cool story. You know, Peter has this line where he says to the, to the Sapphira, you know, the feet of the men who carried your husband out, out are, are standing there, and they're going to carry you out also. Like, you know, it seems like something that would be in a movie, so I thought, well, this would be kind of funny. I'll choose this. So I chose Acts 5, 1 through 11. I read it. I have no clue what I actually said about it. I kind of rambled on about something, and then the Devo was over, no big deal. One of the leaders of our trip came up to me and was fuming, was so mad. She had her arms crossed, and she said, I need to talk to you. I said, what's wrong? She said, why in the world would you choose this passage to read to these kids that we just met? I said, it's in the Bible. You told me to choose something from the Bible, so I chose something from the Bible. But she acted like I had scarred these kids for life. Now, to her credit... If I had the opportunity to speak to a youth group and I had one shot, now Jody in 2019 would not choose this as my go-to passage. But back then I thought it would be funny, maybe I thought it would be cute. I don't know. I don't think I fully understood what I was doing. But her reaction to this text I think is a pretty common reaction. We're a little bit offended by this story. What does this mean? What do we do with it? And I do think, if we're being honest about the text, there's probably some questions that maybe come to your mind or come to others' minds. And I kind of have a summary of some of the questions that I've heard about this text. One of those is, why does Peter receive grace when Ananias and Sapphira receive death? Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. But yet, Peter received forgiveness. Peter received grace. Peter was reinstated into the community. Peter was redeemed. Peter became a leader in the church, so he got his second chance. But it seems like here, Ananias and Sapphira, they're dealt with harshly. So why doesn't Peter think about defending them? Why is What's going on here? Why is there grace in some areas and not in others? And then the whole story seems kind of eerie. So where is Peter? It sounds like he's in some sort of FBI headquarters. He's in his, his office, and they come in and and nobody knows what's going on back there, you know? So that's, that part of the story seems a little bit strange. Some people ask, they look at this story, and they're like, well, does God all of a sudden become 
Uh, what we read about in the Old Testament, and you know, he's the same God in the Old Testament as he is the New Testament, but I think people look at the New Testament, and then they look at the Old Testament, and there's some confusion, and they look at this story, and they're like, it sounds more like an Old Testament type story. So what do we do with that? Ananias and Sapphira had recently been converted, we assume. They're a part of the community. We assume they've they were baptized into Christ. They received the Holy Spirit. Their sins have been forgiven. And now they commit the sin and suddenly they're dead. So where do they go when they die? Do they go to heaven or do they go to hell? These are some of the questions that are asked of this text. And you can look at Jesus. Right? Look, at, look at the way Jesus treated people. You can use the Gospel of John as an example. In John chapter 4, Jesus has this interaction. We call it the woman at the well. And we know that this woman had been with several men, and Jesus calls her out on it, but she doesn't drop dead. He doesn't push her into the well, and she dies. He, he offers her some sort of new life, and she goes back and gets to tell people about Jesus. And then in John chapter 8, there's a woman who's caught in adultery, and they bring her before Jesus, and they say the law of Moses says that we should stone her and kill her. And Jesus comes to her defense, and he says, if you're without sin, throw the first stone, and they all walk away. And he does tell this woman to go and leave her life of sin, but in both of those instances, and in many other stories, Jesus seems to offer an amazing amount of grace to people, and second chances, and forgiveness, and third chances, and redemption. But here, with Ananias and Sapphira, it's just like, you messed up, and you dropped dead. So that's why I think people are offended by it. And if we're honest about our own lives... How many of us have been deceitful? Don't raise your hands, just think to yourself. How many of us, maybe, maybe we didn't commit the same sin that they committed, but maybe, maybe we haven't always told the truth. Maybe we've been deceitful before. Maybe we've tried to come across as more religious than we really are. Maybe we've tried to impress others and sound more spiritual than we really are. So if this was the case, every time we sinned in this way, who would be left in our churches? So I think these are some questions that we ask of the text, and we're wondering, what is going on with this story? How do we understand it? So what I'll offer for you, you'll see it in your little bulletin insert, the outline there, that there's three, I guess you could call them layers of understanding. And it's not going to answer every question that you may have of this text, but I think it gives us a different glimpse or a deeper glimpse into what's going on here. And, and the first layer of that is just the layer of greed and attention. Is it obviously they were greedy for money, they wanted to keep some of the money for themselves, but they wanted the attention, they wanted recognition of what they had done. It reminds me of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. In this chapter, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give to the needy. And then he goes on to talk about prayer and fasting. And the point in Matthew 6 is that Jesus is saying, what is your motive behind praying or giving or fasting? Is it to be seen by others? If that's the case, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. So can you do it in secret and nobody knows about it and just you and God and be okay with that? And that's what we do every week when we give. That's what we're going to do this morning with our special contribution. Is we're not doing it to be seen by others. We're doing it because we know that God knows, and that's enough. So Jesus is calling the Pharisees and the other religious leaders out and saying the things that you're doing, your religious acts, you're doing them because 
You want to impress others. You want people to look at you and see how spiritual and religious you are, and that's wrong. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira are doing here. They're wanting that attention, and they're greedy. And Peter tells them, you had options. Didn't you own that? That was your property. You didn't have to sell it. And when you sold it, you didn't have to give any of it, but you chose to do that. So Ananias and Sapphira were deliberately deceptive. And some commentators say they had a recognition, a lust for recognition. Like they wanted people to see them and how great they are and how generous they are, and that was their motivation behind what they did. But secretly, they wanted to keep some of the money to spend it on themselves and kind of like... Judas, where does it get them? Their dishonest gain, they don't live long enough to be able to enjoy it. So one of the layers of understanding this story is just the basic human sin that as human beings, sometimes we have a tendency to want to fudge things and kind of make ourselves look more spiritual because we want attention or because we're greedy. That's just kind of one layer of understanding it. It reminds me of a story I read several years ago. If you remember in 2013, in Boston, the Boston Marathon, uh, those two guys set off the pressure cookers and they became bombs. And, and that day was a horrendous day. It was a scary day. A lot of people were injured. Hundreds of people were hospitalized. Some people lost their lives. Several people were, had limbs amputated because of this. So such a horrible act. But then after that happened, generous people stepped up to the plate and they said, we want to help pay for your medical bills. So even sometimes in the darkest of times, you can see glimpses of light. So you see these generous people willing to help, willing to share. And a woman named Joanna Lee, she said that her medical problems were pretty severe. She had brain damage. She had hearing loss. She had vision loss. She was suffering from PTSD. She had all sorts of problems because of the bomb, because she was in the crowd that day. So people started raising money for her. Somebody started a GoFundMe account. Somebody else started another account. Uh, somebody donated a lot of money to her. A local middle school did a fundraiser for her, for her medical expenses, and they raised almost $2,000. Total, people raised over $40,000 for her to help pay her medical expenses. So that sounds like a nice story until the truth comes out. And when the truth came out, she left that day before the bombs ever went off. She didn't have any injuries. She didn't have any problems. But when she got home and she saw what happened and she saw that people were getting attention and people were receiving money for being in the crowd and being injured that day, she said, I want a piece of that. So she wanted attention. She wanted recognition for something that she didn't even experience. And she was greedy for money. And when I read that story, I'm thinking in the same vein, Ananias and Sapphira, they're greedy for money, and they want the attention. So that's one layer of understanding this story. But another layer of understanding the story is the layer of spiritual warfare. We're told in verse 3, Peter says, Why has Satan filled your heart? So Satan enters the story. And if you're familiar with Luke and his writings, we call it Luke-Acts because he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts, that Satan uses opportune times. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and he has no victory over Jesus, we're told that Satan left for an opportune time. 
Satan's plan was to try to find another way to destroy the work of God. And so he enters Judas later on in the story. And now in Acts, in Acts chapter 5, when the church is still in its early stages, but when great things are happening, when people are giving their lives over to Christ, when people are sacrificing, giving to the poor, Satan wants to try and destroy it. Satan enters and he influences Ananias and Sapphira. A book came out a few years ago called Reviving Old Scratch. It was written by a professor named Richard Beck. And in this story, he talks about how he was a part of prison ministry for many years, and he still is every week. And during the prison ministry time, he does a Bible study, and they spend some time praying with the inmates. And uh, he said that one night, one of the inmates wanted to pray. His name was Herb. And he said, Herb said the prayer and said, God, protect us from old scratch. So after the prayer was over, he said, old scratch, who is that? What is that? And they said, you don't know who old scratch is? Old scratch is another name for Satan. It's another name for the devil. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I had never heard it until I read the book. But I thought about how there's different names, different titles given to refer to spiritual warfare, to Satan, demon possession, and things like that. But what, what Peter says here is that Satan has filled your heart. The Hebrew word for Satan is this word, hasatan, and it means the adversary. And then the other name for Satan is the devil. And the devil means the accuser or the adversary. So basically, we see, especially in the New Testament, in the work of the kingdom of God in the early church, is that Satan is opposed to God's work and God's kingdom. And he wants to try and destroy it. Jesus already warned us. He said that Satan is a murderer and a liar in John 8, 44. So early on, in the early stages of the church, Satan has kind of entered in and he's trying to weasel his way in and he's trying to stop this thing before it really gets started, before it leaves Jerusalem and starts spreading out amongst the world. So this isn't Peter versus Ananias and Sapphira. This is Satan versus the Holy Spirit. So one way of understanding this story is just looking at the spiritual warfare aspect of this. You know, for one layer, it's Ananias and Sapphira are greedy and they want attention. But then Satan's also working, so there's spiritual warfare going on. But the third layer of understanding this story is what I would call the credibility of witness. I'll give a guy named Josh Graves credit for helping me understand this. So think about this early church in Jerusalem, not too long after Jesus died on a cross, and what are they preaching? They're preaching that this Jesus whom you crucified didn't stay dead, he resurrected. I mean, if you think about it, that's a really bold and crazy thing to claim. The early church, and still today, we build our identity on the resurrection of Jesus. And so while we're claiming the resurrection of Jesus, there's also this little thing going on over here within the church. And you got some people that are lying, that are bending the truth a little bit, that are trying to come across as more spiritual than they really are. And if they can't be honest about the small things, can we believe them in the big things? If they can't be honest about how much they're giving, can we believe them when they say that Jesus resurrected from the dead? So do you get what's going on there is this attack from within could potentially hurt the credibility of the witness of the church. 
And that's a really important thing, and God takes that serious. A guy named Richard Foster wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, and he points out that if we tell a lie, we're led to telling more lies to cover up the first lie, so soon we are forced to behave in a certain way in order to give credence to the lie. So basically, you tell one lie, and then you have to tell another lie, and then more lies, and before you know it, you're telling all sorts of lies to try to cover up your initial lie, and then you can't be trusted at all. So when you start to lie, people stop trusting you. You know, maybe you've known people like that in your own life. That you have trouble trusting them because they've told so many lies. Or if you're being honest with yourself, maybe you are that person. Maybe you're not always truthful. Maybe you struggle with telling lies. And the credibility of the church was a really important part of what Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and that's where they're at still, but also in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if they can't be honest with each other in the small things, who's going to believe them with this big message? So it doesn't answer all the questions raised, and it may not help every sensibility that you have about this story But I think at least it shows us that God takes this very serious. They had a message to preach, and he wasn't going to let Satan work his way in and try and destroy this message. So there's different layers. There's greed and wanting attention, the spiritual warfare, ruining the credibility of the witness by telling these lies. So those are some layers of understanding chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. But what about this guy named Joseph? who also becomes Barnabas because he's the son of encouragement, which Barnabas in Aramaic does not mean son of encouragement. So they give him the nickname anyways, and they say it means son of encouragement. And what did he do? Something real simple. He went and got some of his property, he sold it, and he gave it to the apostles. And he serves for us kind of this fourth layer, this positive example. And he shows us what we're already seeing in the early church is that a spirit-filled community is a generous community. And Barnabas is a singled-out example of that. And I guarantee you he was not doing it to receive credit. I guarantee you when Barnabas gave the money to the apostles, he probably wasn't thinking, I hope I make it into the Bible someday. He probably thought this was just going to be between me and the apostles. But I'm thankful that Luke shares this story because we need to hear stories like this. Barnabas goes on to become an important person. His name is mentioned several times in the book of Acts. He's important in Paul's missionary journeys. But what he serves for us here as an example of what generosity really looks like. The last few weeks we've looked at This early church. We looked at the snapshots of the early church from the end of Acts 2 and the end of Acts 4. And I've mentioned it every week. We've challenged you to do acts of kindness or random acts of kindness. We've challenged you to imitate what you're seeing in the early church. And what we see is people willing to give. People willing to help the poor. People willing to help the mission. People who are willing to give to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. So here in just a minute, we're going to take our special missions contribution, and you've already heard some about this. You've heard about this uh, last week. You've read about it in your bulletin, and 
uh, we're going we're gonna to invite either Darren or Ken up here, and they're going to maybe say a word about this and offer a prayer. And for the guys who helped pass out the plates, if you could get back in position, uh, what we want to do is we want to imitate the generosity that we see in the early church. And your contribution today or your pledge cards are going to go for our entire missions budget for the year 2020. It's going to go to support our missionary and, and our mission work in Honduras, in Ghana, and Togo, and in Cambodia, Camp Deer Run, and Let's Start Talking, and for people that want to go on mission trips, you know, this is going to be for the whole missions budget for the year. So we thank you in advance for your generosity, for whatever uh, you have, what's on your heart to give, okay, and I want to invite, I'm not sure, I'm going to invite Darren to come up here and lead us in that. Okay, well, everybody looks healthy. Nobody's dropped out, so we don't have any Ananiases and Sapphira here today. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your donation to our missions fund for the, for the upcoming year. I think, as we see, Barnabas's name is Son of Encouragement, and in a way, we all get to participate in that same name and that same title today. We're sons and daughters of encouragement. Encouraging our missionaries, encouraging our missions, and encouraging people to go on mission trips and to be a part of what God is doing here in Longview and what God is doing all over the world. We take that serious and we thank you for being a part of that with us, especially here today. Now as we look at this story, I'm going to offer an invitation here in just a second. The Ananias and Sapphira story, uh, fear is mentioned twice. They're filled with fear when they hear about what happens. So it is a bit of a strange story, and I think that part of the fear is that we know as human beings, just like they know, that there's nothing that we can hide from God. They may, maybe they thought they could trick the people. Maybe they thought they could trick the church, but there's nothing that they can hide from God. Now, that sounds scary. Maybe there's some fear in that for all of us as individuals. But I want to pass on to you what others have told me in the last few years that have been very helpful for me. Is the God who reveals is the God who heals. There is nothing that we can hide from God. And if we're honestly seeking God to know Him, to draw near to Him, there may be times where things are revealed about our own nature and our own character and our own tendencies that don't feel too good. Maybe it's painful. And if God reveals those things to you and in you, God also wants to heal you. So if this morning we read through these stories and talk about this and you hear something about people who are lying or greedy or wanting attention and, and maybe something in a way connects within you and maybe you want to make things right in your own life, well, we have elders, we also call them shepherds of this congregation who are always available every Sunday morning around the room to pray with you, to meet private with you, with, privately with you or maybe set up a time to meet with you. I'm up front, another elder is up front with me. So you can respond to the invitation. If something's stirring within you, we encourage you to do that. If you're ready to become a follower of Jesus and you want to be baptized into Christ, you can do that as well. 
We're going to sing an invitation song. I encourage you to respond if you need to this morning. Let's stand and sing.